Chapter One of the Romance of Modern Sieges by Edward Gilliatt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: Siege of Gibraltar, 1779-1782. The position of the rock, state of defence, food supply. Rodney brings relief. Fire ships sent in. A convoy in a fog. Heavy guns bombard the town. Watching the cannonball catalina gets no gift one against fourteen red-hot shot save the day lord howe to the rescue gibraltar what a thrill does the very name evoke to one who knows a little of english history and england's heroes but to those who have the good fortune to steam in a p and o liner down the coast of portugal and catch sight of the rock on turning by cabrita point into the bay of algeciras the thrill of admiration is intensified for the great rock lies like a lion couched on the marge of the mediterranean it is one of the pillars of hercules it commands the entrance to the inner sea from seven twelve to the beginning of the fourteenth century gibraltar was in the hands of the saracens then it fell into the hands of the spaniards in seventeen o four the year of blenheim a combined english and dutch fleet under sir george rook captured the rock from the marquis de salinas and gibraltar has since then remained in the possession of the english though several attempts have been made to wrest it from us before we follow captain drinkwater in some details of the great siege a few words must be said about the rock and its defences as they then were the rock itself juts out like a promontory rising to a height of thirteen hundred feet and joined to the spanish mainland by a low sandy isthmus which is at the foot of the rock about two thousand seven hundred feet broad on a narrow ledge at the foot of the northwest slope lies the little town huddled up beneath the frowning precipice and bristling batteries excavated out of the solid rock at different heights up to the very crest batteries are planted half or wholly concealed by the galleries all along the sea-line were bastions mounted with great guns and howitzers and supplied with casemates for a thousand men in all the fortifications were armed with six hundred and sixty-three pieces of artillery conspicuous among the buildings was an old moorish castle on the northwest side of the hill here was planted the grand battery with the governor's residence at the upper corner of the walls many caves and hollows are found in the hill convenient both for powder magazines and also for hiding places to the apes who colonize the rock the climate even at midwinter is so mild and warm that cricket and tennis can be played on dry grass wherever a lawn can be found in the neighborhood as the writer has experienced but at gibraltar itself all is stony ground and barren rock only on the western slope a few palmettos grow with lavender and spanish broom roses and asphodels in seventeen seventy seven a good opportunity seemed to be offered for spain to recover the rock from england the north american colonies had seceded and the prestige of britain had suffered a severe blow the fleets of france and spain sixty-six sail of the line were opposed by sir charles hardy's thirty-eight but with these he prevented the enemy from landing an invading army on the english shore 
but spain was intent on retaking gibraltar and had already planted batteries across the isthmus which connects the rock with spain general elliot the governor of gibraltar had a garrison of five thousand three hundred and eighty two strong four hundred and twenty eight artillerymen and one hundred and six engineers admiral duff had brought his ships a sixty-gun man-of-war three frigates and a sloop alongside the new mole all preparations were made to resist a siege towards the middle of august the enemy succeeded in establishing a strict blockade with the object of reducing the garrison by famine there were not more than forty head of cattle in the place and supplies from africa were intercepted by the spanish cruisers in november the effects of scarcity began to be felt though many of the inhabitants had been sent away mutton was three shillings a pound ducks fourteen shillings a couple even fish and bread were very scarce general elliot set the example of abstemious living and for eight days he lived on four ounces of rice a day the inhabitants had for some time been put upon a daily ration of bread delivered under the protection of sentries with fixed bayonets but even with this safeguard for the week there was a scene of struggling daily many times the stronger got more than their share the weaker came away empty-handed and eked out a wretched existence on leeks and thistles even soldiers and their families were perilously near starvation so that a listless apathy fell on the majority and they looked seaward in vain for a help that did not arrive it was not until the fifteenth of january seventeen eighty that the joyful news went round the little town of a brig in the offing which bore the british flag she cannot pass the batteries she is standing in for the old mole hurrah the brig brought the tidings of approaching relief and many a wet eye kindled with hope but the lookout on signal point could see the spaniards in algeciras bay preparing for see eleven men of war to cut off the convoy again the hopes of the garrison went down they did not know neither did the spaniards that admiral sir george rodney an old harrow boy was escorting the convoy with a powerful fleet of twenty-one sail of the line he quickly drove the eleven spaniards into headlong flight but before rounding into the bay he fell in with fifteen spanish merchantmen and six ships of war which became his prize then for a time the town and garrison enjoyed themselves frugally and life became worth living but on the departure of rodney the spaniards tried to destroy the british vessels in the bay with fire-ships it was on a june night that the fire spread and the gleam shot across the water lighting up algeciras and the cork forests that clothed the mountain-side then the alarm was given the panther a sixty-gun man-of-war and the other armed ships opened fire on the assailants officers and men sprang into their boats and grappled the blazing ships making fast hawsers and towing them under the great guns of the rock where they were promptly sunk again the blight of ennui sickness and famine came on the little garrison but in october a cargo of fruit came just in time to save them from scurvy in march seventeen eighty one the want of bread became serious biscuit crumbs were selling for a shilling a pound how long was the anxious cry that was felt if not expressed in words 
had england forgotten her brave men on the twelfth of april to the joyful surprise of all a great convoy was signalled escorted by a strong fleet every man woman and child who could walk came out upon the ramparts and gazed seawards with glistening eyes at daybreak says the historian of the siege admiral darby's much expected fleet was in sight from our signal-house but it was not discernible from below being obscured by a thick mist in the gut as the sun rose however the fog rose too like the curtain of a vast theatre discovering to the anxious garrison one of the most beautiful and pleasing scenes it is possible to conceive the ecstasies of the inhabitants at this grand and exhilarating sight are not to be described but alas they little dreamed of the tremendous blow that impended which was to annihilate their property and reduce many of them to indigence and beggary for this second relief of the garrison stung the spaniards into the adoption of a measure which inflicted a large amount of suffering on the citizens they at once began to bombard the town with sixty-four heavy guns and fifty mortars all amongst the crowds in the narrow winding streets through the frail roofs and windows came shot and shell so that one and all fled from their homes seeking cover among the rocks this was the time for thieves to operate and many houses were rifled of their contents then it was discovered that many hucksters and liquor-dealers had been hoarding and hiding their stocks and a fire having broken out in a wine-shop the soldiers tasted and drank to excess then in a few days the discipline became relaxed many of the garrison stole and took away to their quarters barrels of wine which they proceeded to stow away to their own peril and ruin at length general elliot was compelled to issue orders that any soldier found drunk or asleep at his post should be shot what surprises us in our days of long-distance firing is the strange fact that a man with sharp vision could see one of the cannon-balls as it came towards him one day we are told an officer saw a ball coming his way but he was so fascinated by it that he could not move out of the way another day a shot fell into a house in which nearly twenty people were gathered together all escaped except one child on another occasion a shot came through the embrasures of one of the british batteries took off the legs of two men one leg of another and wounded a fourth man in both legs so that four men had seven legs taken off and wounded by one shot a boy who had been posted on the works on account of his keenness of vision to warn the men when a cannonball was coming their way had only just been complaining that they did not heed his warnings and while he turned to the men this shot which did all this hurt was fired by the enemy a large cannon-ball in those days weighed thirty pounds others much less the author remembers admiral Colum telling the harrow boys in a lecture that a captain of those days could carry two or more cannon-balls in his coat-tail pocket the balls of modern guns have to be moved by hydraulic machinery yet it is astonishing how much damage the old cannon-balls could inflict lopping along like overgrown cricket-balls as they did sometimes incidents happened of an amusing character one day a soldier was rummaging about among the ruins of a fallen house and came upon a find of watches and jewels 
he bethought him at once of a very pretty spanish girl who had coquetted with him in the gardens of the alameda now let me see he murmured to himself how can i put this away safe little catalina will laugh when she sees them there jewels i'll be bound hm i can't take this lot to quarters that's sartin them sergeants as feel one all around on return from duty will grab the lot so he walked on musing and pondering over his weighty affair as he was passing the king's bastion a happy thought struck him by george sir he said to himself it's just the very thing who would think of looking for a watch inside a gun and he chuckled to himself it was high noon the sentinel seemed half asleep the soldier tied up his prize in his handkerchief took out the wad of the gun and slipped his treasure trove into the bore of the cannon replacing the wad carefully that evening he met catalina and managed to inform her that he had a pleasant surprise for her if she could come to the king's bastion her dark eyes glanced mischievously no not in the evening i thank you jacko i will come to-morrow an hour offer sunrise very well catalina i see you do not trust me to-morrow then you shall come with me to the king's bastion and see with your own eyes how rich i can make you catalina understood enough english to laugh heartily at her lover's grave and mysterious words he has stolen a loaf and a bottle of wine she thought in her simplicity however catalina did not disappoint jack and together they paced towards the semicircular platform of the king's bastion jack was a very proud man as he tried to explain to his lady-love what a surprise was in store for her he touched her wrist to show how the bracelets would fit and her shapely neck to prove the existence of a splendid necklace and catalina began to believe her boy but as they came out upon the gun platform jack stopped suddenly and uttered a fearful oath oh dios cried the maid what is there to hurt jacko don't you see oh catalina the game is up that devil of a gunner is wiping out the bore of his gun jack ran up and seizing the man by the arm said i say mate if you have found a parcel in that gun it's mine i put it in last night i tell you it's mine mate don't you try to make believe you have not seen it cause i know you has the gunner stared in open-mouthed astonishment at the speaker at last he said with a touch of sarcasm what for do you think i am wiping out her mouth you silly you must have slept pretty sound not to know that them gunboats crept up again last night the devil take them then where's the gold watch of mine and them jewels i put em for safety in that fool of a gun oh then you may depend upon it my lad that the watch-glass has got broke for we fired a many rounds in the night what for you look so to cry asked little catalina in wonder oh come away sweetheart you will get no rich present this year them spaniards have collared em all oh lord oh lord on the seventh of july the spaniards at cabrita point were seen to be signalling the approach of an enemy as the mists melted away the garrison could see a ship becalmed out in the bay fourteen gunboats from algeciras had put out to cut her off on this captain curtis of the brilliant ordered three barges to row alongside and receive any dispatches she might have on board this was done just before the leading spanish gunboat got within range 
then came a hideous storm of round and grape-shot as the fourteen gunboats circled round the helma but captain roberts though he had only fourteen small guns returned their fire gallantly the english sloop was lying becalmed about a league from the rock and the garrison in gibraltar could do nothing to help her they looked every minute to see the helma sink but still she battled on against their twenty-six pounders then when hope seemed desperate a westerly breeze sprang up the waters darkened and rippled round the helma her canvas slowly filled out and she came away with torn sails and rigging to the shelter of the mole in september seventeen eighty two a grand attack was made by the spaniards with ten men-of-war gunboats mortar-boats and floating batteries they took up their position about nine hundred yards from the king's bastion four hundred pieces of the heaviest artillery were crashing and thundering while all the air was thick with smoke general elliot had made his preparations the round shot was being heated in portable furnaces all along the front and as the furnaces were insufficient huge fires were lit in the angles between buildings on which our roast potatoes as the soldiers nicknamed the hot shot were being baked but the enemy's battering ships seemed invulnerable our heaviest shells often rebounded from their tops whilst the thirty-two pound shot seemed incapable of making any visible impression upon their hulls frequently we flattered ourselves they were on fire but no sooner did any smoke appear than with admirable intrepidity men were observed applying water from their engines within to those places where the smoke issued even the artillery themselves at this period had their doubts of the effect of the red-hot shot which began to be used about twelve but were not general till about one or two o'clock after some hours incessant firing the masts of several spanish ships were seen to be toppling over the flagship and the admiral's second ship were on fire and on board some others confusion was seen to be prevailing their fire slackened while ours increased then as night came on the gleams spread across the troubled waters the cannonade of the garrison increased in rapidity and power at one in the morning two ships were blazing mast high and the others soon caught fire from the red-hot shot or from the flying sparks the light and glow of this fearful conflagration brought out the weird features of the whole bay the sombre rock the blood-red sea the white houses of algeciras five miles across the dark cork forests and the spanish mountains all stood out in strange perspective amid the roar of cannon were fitfully heard the hoarse murmurs of the crowds that lined the shore and the screams of burning men sometimes a deep gloom shrouded the background of earth and sea while gigantic columns of curling serpent flame shot up from the blazing hulls brigadier curtis who was encamped at europa point now took out his flotilla of twelve gunboats each being armed with a twenty-four pounder in its bow and took the floating batteries in flank compelling the spanish relieving boats to retire daylight showed a sight never to be forgotten the flames had paled before the sun 
but the dark forms of the spaniards moving amongst the fire and shrieking for help and compassion stirred all the feelings of humanity some were clinging to the sides of the burning ships others were flinging themselves into the waves curtis led his boats up to the smoking hulks in order to rescue some of the victims he and his men climbed on board the battering ships at the risk of their lives and helped down the spaniards who were profuse in their expressions of gratitude but as the english thus worked for the rescue of their enemies the magazine of one of the spanish ships blew up with a crash at about five o'clock and a quarter of an hour after another exploded in the centre of the line burning splinters were hurled around in all directions and involved the british gunboats in grave danger in the brigadier's boat his coxswain was killed his stroke wounded and a hole was forced through the bottom of the boat after landing three hundred and fifty-seven spaniards the english were compelled to retire under the cover of the rock leaving the remainder to their dreadful fate of the six ships still on fire three blew up before eleven o'clock the other three burned down to the water's edge thus ended the attempt to take the rock by means of floating castles the loss sustained by the spaniards was about two thousand killed wounded and taken prisoners whereas the losses in the garrison were surprisingly small considering how long a cannonade had been kept up upon the forts sixteen only were killed eighteen officers sergeants and rank and file were wounded yet the enemy had been firing more than three hundred pieces of heavy ordnance while the english garrison could bring to bear only eighty cannon seven mortars and nine howitzers but even for these they expended seven hundred and sixteen barrels of powder as admiral lord howe was sailing with a powerful fleet to the help of gibraltar he heard the news of general elliot's splendid defence on the night of the eighteenth of october seventeen eighty two a great storm scattered the french and spanish ships and soon after the delighted garrison saw lord howe's fleet and his convoy containing fresh troops and provisions approaching in order of battle the blockade was now virtually at an end the siege had lasted three years seven months and twelve days since then no attempt has been made to capture gibraltar End of chapter one